one, we have a guest speaker from LEE um, Wells. We have Gavin here, he's gonna be talking to us about the impact of higher education and fees and funding changes. Okay. All right, thanks folks. Uh, so this is a really topical piece of uh, analysis. So this is about the impact of higher education fees and funding changes. Uh, and this is, this, associated, I mean, this particular piece of analysis is associated with Welsh domicile students and uh, uh, English domicile students studying in Wales. Okay, and this is particularly topical because uh, today's the 23rd of February and tomorrow is the 24th of February. And that's 1,001 days since the Augur uh, independent review of post-18 education reported its recommendations. The government tomorrow is uh, in Westminster is going to announce its response to those proposals. Um, so long awaited, almost three years. Uh, they're going to be really controversial. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of people uh, spitting daggers tomorrow, I would sort of say. Um, there's a lot of retail politics in the announcements that are being made. And um, what we're going to try and talk about tonight is I can't sort of go through those explicit proposals, um, but we will cover some things that are very, very similar. Um, so hopefully you find it interesting. OK, so listen, I'll just kick on. So what we do is um, and just a bit of background. So I'm, I work for a company called London Economics, and uh, we have a sister company in Wales called Ellie Wales, imaginatively. So I'm a professional education labour market economist. I've been working in higher education fees and funding for about 15 years um, for this consultancy firm. Um, and what we've done is we've built a model, essentially, that looks at the, essentially the cost of higher education to uh, the exchequer, uh, to students or graduates, and then to higher education institutions. And we essentially look at the flows between those three groups. Uh, and as a result of this piece of uh, or this analysis over 15 years, I was on the Diamond Review of Higher Education in Wales a couple of years ago. So this was probably the only review of higher education which was actually universally welcomed. Uh, and we took a completely different approach a couple of years ago and basically reintroduced maintenance grants and uh, increased the size and quite significantly. Um, you know, we did various other things, but um, so it's all very relevant. So what we do in this modeling is we look at the we use information on the size of the 2021 cohort, okay? Now, this is slightly old, but this is just because of data availability. But we look at the 2021 cohort, and we say that cohort is sort of a sort of sensible size, and that's reflective of the circumstances facing, or the circumstances facing Wales. So as I say, it's the Welsh domicile of undergraduate students, irrespective of where they study. So studying in Wales and in England, and the, the few that study in Scotland and Northern Ireland. We also look at English domicile students studying in Wales. We look at full-time and part-time students, we're the only people to do this. And we also look at all undergraduate students, so not just limited first degree students. And what we do is we essentially look at the fees and funding arrangements that face these students in 2021-22. Okay, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at essentially the current system and we're gonna look at, uh, you know, essentially alternatives that people are sort of asking about. Because it's sort of quite clear that students have had a absolutely brutal time over the last couple of years. And there's a lot of requests for refunds and you know loans to be written off and things like this. And we've modeled some of that for folks like uh, the LSE Students Union, the University of Sheffield Students Union. We've done a lot of work on that. Uh, so we have every sympathy for you know the plight of students over the last couple of years. 
So what do we do when we model? We model a thing, probably the most important metric that we're going to talk about is a thing called the RAB charge, R-A-B. And essentially it's the proportion of the loan written off. It's the size of the subsidy that's paid for by the exchequer uh, and it's a benefit to students. So we also look at things like the student loan uh, debt on graduation, the expected lifetime loan repayments, the proportion that never fully repay, and the proportion of, of um, students or graduates that never make any repayments. We look at the total exchequer costs uh, in terms of student support and in terms of teaching grants. And we look at uh, essentially the income of higher education institutions through uh, tuition fee income and uh, teaching grant income. So we look at a couple of scenarios here. So what we do in the first instance is we compare it to the current baseline. We look at a scenario where uh, the repayment threshold is frozen for a year. Okay, now this is actually what happened. Now, when I wrote these slides on the 8th of February, that was two weeks ago, it was basically, it was a wait and see to see whether the Welsh government followed the lead of Westminster, okay? And I said initially, not a given. Unfortunately, it is a given now. So basically the, the minister has basically said that they are gonna freeze um, the threshold. Okay, so we're gonna have a look and see what the effect of that is. We'll have a look at that effect, but it's really important to bear in mind qualitatively if the threshold was frozen for longer or if it was reduced, you can sort of gather or you can, you can figure out what the effect will be. The second one is a classic. So this is retail politics. So this is about the removal of interest rates. Now, what are real interest rates do? Okay, it's a really, really important issue. A lot of people uh, complain about them, you know, potentially reasonably. But the issue is like, if you remove real interest rates, who are the beneficiaries? And it's not obvious. And the problem with this is that, uh, in particular, with removing interest rates uh, or real interest rates, it sounds great in the doorstep. You can sort of say to uh, the, the typical voter that we're doing something for students and graduates, we're removing the burden, they won't feel as much debt, um, and, you know, this is progressive. We're actually going to look at this and see what the effect is. Uh, it's quite surprising. And a similar sort of thing, um, although this is, you know, highly unlikely, uh, is what would happen if we reduce the tuition fee? So this might be to say, you know, you've had a really hard year, uh, so we'll just cut the tuition fee by a bit and, you know, we'll see how we get on. Okay, this is another classic where, you know, potentially it sounds great in the doorstep that we're reducing the debt on graduation for students, but uh, actually in reality, it might be quite different. Okay, so this is the baseline in Wales. Okay, so... What we have here is on the right hand side, we have uh, essentially the cost of the exchequer. So the cost of the moment to the exchequer all in of getting a cohort of students through the system is about 878 million quid a cohort. OK, so you break that down, about 316 million is in terms of maintenance grants, about 173 million is in maintenance loans, 338 in terms of tuition fee loan write offs, and then the cost of teaching grants you know, either incurred by the Welsh government or other um, administrations is 51 million. So a total of 878. The RAB charge here is 53%. So 53% of the total loan balance is written off. And that's a subsidy from uh, the exchequer to the graduate. About 80.6% of, of individuals never repay the full loan. And 34% of graduates never make any repayments. Okay, these are really high numbers. Um, just pausing on that. So there's a lot of complaints, complaints about the sustainability of higher education funding. And the issue here is, or the real problem is, this isn't the problem. 
you got to look at the bigger picture. And the problem is that the e economy more generally, not just in Wales, but in the UK, the economy generally is in a shocking state. And it's been in a shocking state for seven or eight years or longer. So ever since the implementation and introduction of austerity policies, it's essentially drained the life out of the economy. So you think, you know, from your economics lectures, you learn about y equals c plus i plus c plus x minus m. You know, there's this been reduction in government spending consistently. And essentially the, the result is that there's no, you know, spiller of effect from government spending. And, um, you know, the attempt to, attempt to make savings, you know, is completely misplaced um, and it is counterproductive. So, you know, if we had an economy that was growing at 3% per year, instead of the 0.8% per year, um, we wouldn't be having a, a, a discussion about the sustainability of higher education funding. Everything, graduates be earning more, they'd be paying more in repayments, uh, loan repayments, and everything would be great. So the big picture is the economy is shocking um, and it's not gonna get much better much anytime soon. <clears throat> okay, so on that cheery note, we have higher education institutions uh, and their gross fee income is about 931 million. They also get the teaching grant income mentioned above. They do make some uh, bursary provisions. So this is a portion of the fee in excess of the base fee, which is 6165, I think it is. And essentially their net fee income is, is close on a billion pounds. And again, that's to cover uh, all students to get them through from commencement to completion. So this is where we get to students. So average debt in graduation is 41,200. In England, if you're an English domicile student in England, uh, that total is about 47, 48,000 pounds. So you do graduate with about 7,000 pounds less debt um, you know, on graduation. Average lifetime repayments on average for men and women about 30 grand and 12 grand. Okay, and that just reflects the different labor market decisions, often of men and women, but also uh, reflects gender pay gaps uh, and various other uh, issues, okay, which all need to be addressed uh, as well. Okay, so if you look at the distribution of who pays for higher education, essentially it's 55 45 between the exchequer and graduates. Okay, has anybody got any questions on that? Or are we all happy? Okay. Um, would appreciate questions, but that's fine. Okay, if we look at the distribution of how, what graduates repay, so we, what we hear we have is the um, lifetime repayments in net present value terms of uh, male and female graduates separately by earnings decile. So we we'll see the averages there on the right hand side. So 30,100 for men average and 12,200 for women. But it's quite a bit of variation, obviously. So um, for men, if you look at the top three or four deciles, top three deciles, they pay between, in terms of MPV of uh, repayments, they pay between 50,000, 48 to 50,000. Um, somebody on the fifth decile pays about 33.6. Okay, then you look at uh, female graduates and female graduates in the bottom four deciles make no, essentially make no lifetime repayments. And then this increases very sharply uh, but the median um, the median female graduate repays about 1,400, but this increases to 29,309 on the eighth decile and then about 52,000 on the ninth decile. Okay, so huge amount of variation. So the question is, well, we'll see in a second, is what's going to happen to these folks? Okay, so if you click on again, the last thing I'm going to do in terms of a bit of, well, a bit of background is this is the proportion of, of earnings paid towards student loans for men and women by earnings decile. So you can see for men, 
that it peaks at 3.8% for the sixth decile and then drops. So it's locally regressive. Individuals on the men on the ninth, male graduates on the ninth decile pay about 1.7% of their 30 year post-graduation income. Um, that compares to a 3.8% for somebody on the sixth decile. For women, it's more progressive, locally progressive in zero up to the fifth decile. Fifth decile is 0.2% and increases rapidly to 4%, okay? So where do we go from here? Let's see if we've got anything else to talk about. Okay, so freezing the income threshold. So this is what actually happened. Okay, so the freeze in the repayment threshold, what's the effect of this? Okay, so it would save the exchequer about 31 million pounds. Okay, and that's the number there, if you can see me move my cursor. So in terms of maintenance loans and fee loans, it saves the exchequer about 11 million and 20 million um, respectively. Doesn't seem like a lot of money. Okay, fair enough. But I mean, 30, 31 million, it's essentially a stealth tax. So if you think the government has saved 4% of the total cost um, of funding a cohort of students simply by freezing uh, a repayment threshold, you can imagine what the effect would be if they froze the threshold for longer. So this is actually for one year, but um, you know, if they froze it for longer, you can sort of see how that would rack up. So if you had a situation where the government was going to change the repayment threshold, just say, uh, or freeze the repayment threshold for just say a new cohort of entrants until they graduate. So this would be essentially freezing the repayment threshold to 27, 28. You can imagine that it's going to be three, 4% of savings compounded for three or four years. So automatically you've got three, you know, 10, 12% savings simply by, you know, the stealth tax freezing the repayment threshold for, for three or four years. It's a really, really, um, you know, it's, it's not cheeky because it happens an awful lot. Um, but it's, you could sort of say it's quite underhanded. Um, so, you know, just keep an eye on that. Uh, it's really important. So in real terms, what does that mean for a graduate? I mean, so it is 11 million and 20 million pounds combined, but by freezing the threshold, it's 27,295 instead of about 28 and a half thousand pounds. So for every individual student, it's about a hundred pounds per year, additional uh, spending, or sorry, additional essentially deductions that wouldn't have happened otherwise, okay? Um, and again, you can sort of see that multiplying if you freeze it for three or four years. If you cut the threshold, just say to 25,000, okay, then you're gonna be sort of accruing significantly more income, okay? So moving the threshold is really important. A couple of years ago, um, Theresa May at, at a party conference increased the threshold, repayment threshold, and she increased it from 21,000 to 25,000 pounds overnight. The effect of that policy was to increase the cost of higher education by 50% for English domicile students. So it happened overnight, but it increased uh, the cost by 50%. All right. What does this mean for the RAB charge? Well, because more loan has been repaid, the RAB charge decreases by three points, okay? Um, Non-trivial, but uh, not huge. And there's a very small proportion in the proportion of individuals who either no longer, or no, don't repay the whole amount or don't repay anything, okay? Now, the interesting one is, if you look here, 
the average debt and graduation increases, well, it doesn't increase at all, but the average lifetime repayments increase for men and women by 1,500 and 1,300 respectively. Okay, but the issue is, does that affect everybody equally? Okay, so if you look at this graph, this is really sort of quite interesting. So you take somebody on the median, on the fifth decile. So for a male graduate on the, on the, the fifth decile, their repayments increase by about 2,700. So that's double the average. For a female graduate, their repayments increase from 1,400 to 3,300. So that's 1,900 increase, so they more than double. Okay, and that's more than the average. But if you look at the top end, you know, the folks at the top end, they were paying 50,049.4, just say. Now they're paying 53, 50,349.7. So essentially these are unchanged. So despite freezing the threshold, it looks like male graduates at the top end of the distribution are essentially unaffected. Now it seems odd, but essentially what's happening here is because of the freezing threshold, they're paying a little bit more every year. But because they're doing that, they repay their loan that little bit earlier. So it nets out. So essentially they're unaffected by this policy. Okay. So everybody loses except for the highest earning predominantly male graduates. Okay. There's not much an effect here in terms of uh, income or the proportion of income that is uh, paid simply because it's such a small change. Okay. It's a very, very marginal stealth tax. Okay. Here we can sort of see on this slide, I said what this, the, the repayment profile for somebody on the fifth decile, male and female graduates looks like. So you see for female graduates, it increases ever so slightly, but you know, noticeably. And they uh, essentially just keep on paying or pay a little bit more you know, every year for 30 years. For male graduates, the same on the fifth decile, they pay a little bit more every year for 30 years, okay. This is the most important one, okay, these slides here. So this is what is the effect of that previous policy of freezing the threshold plus removing real interest rates. So everybody is going on about removing real interest rates, okay, because they're pernicious. So removing real interest rates, it's a really expensive policy, okay? So this would cost $75 million to the to the exchequer, okay? So this is essentially... We saved a bit, the exchequer saved a bit of money as a result of the, the freeze, the threshold freeze, but has basically uh, increased its costs. It's a 75 billion pound giveaway by getting rid of real, real interest rates. Okay. Higher education institutions are unaffected. Fine. As you can uh, imagine, because the government is essentially charging less interest, repayments will be for a shorter period of time and therefore uh, more likely to repay a smaller loan balance, and essentially that's why uh, the RAB charge goes up, okay? In terms of the split between the exchequer and the graduate, it's 58.42, okay? So this is a giveaway from the exchequer to students. Now, the issue here is, if we look down the bottom, the classic uh, response here is from the government is, you know, by doing this, the level of debt on graduation declines from 41,200 to 40,000. Therefore, you know, that £1,200 reduction is helping students, okay? So this is why they're doing it. Then we say, well, it's also the case that because students are repaying for a shorter period of time, because there's no interest charge, for men, 
the amount they pay over their lifetime on average is 4,300 less. For women, it's 600 less. Okay, so you think this is brilliant, all right? This is why it goes down well on the doorstep. But remember these numbers, okay? This is really, really important is to see who actually wins in a distributional effect, okay? If you look at this, okay, we have the baseline again in terms of lifetime earnings. And for male graduates, in the baseline, they, they were repaying between 48 and 50,000 pounds, the top three deciles. Removing interest rates cuts that to 36 to 37,000 pounds. Okay, so that average of 12,000, going to go back on that average, sorry, that average of 1,200. Okay, sorry, the average of 4,300 there uh, for men is essentially entirely concentrated amongst the top three earning deciles, and maybe a little bit in the fourth decile. But essentially, you've given this massive windfall to high-earning, predominantly male graduates. Okay, the highest-earning female graduates also benefit, obviously, because this is just the way it is. But all this effect is concentrated uh, at the upper end. If you look somebody on the fifth decile, they were paying thirty-three thousand six hundred. They actually end up paying more with the removal of uh, real interest rates. So, who are these people? It's also the same. There's a bit of a benefit for. Uh, female graduates on the fifth decile. But who are these people in the fourth, fifth, and sixth decile? These are sort of teachers, uh, nurses. This is a classic public sector workforce, um, you know, coppers and like. Um, so, you know, if you want to design a policy that is politically appealing, but actually sort of harms, you know, 70% of the population, removing real interest rates is the, the best way of doing it, okay? It's even more extreme if you're an English domicile student studying in England, okay? Um, because, uh, because essentially there's no maintenance uh, grants and everything is in terms of maintenance loan and fee loans, uh, the effect is even more extreme, okay? So it's even more of a benefit to uh, these highest earning predominantly male graduates, okay? Uh, if you look at the, the distribution in terms of uh, regressivity, so it was the case that uh, men in the sixth decile were paying the greatest proportion of their post-graduation 30-year income. Now it's dropped down to the fifth decile. And then if you look, uh, it's also the case for women, instead of being the top decile, it's actually dropped to the eighth decile, okay, over here. So really, really quite concerning. It's highly regressive. Okay. Um, so you say what replaces gonna come there? What replaces the real interest rate? Okay, so at the moment the real in, the interest rate is attached to RPI, and one of the issues is the retail price index is is through the roof. Okay, because this consumer price index is as well. Um, essentially, if you remove real interest rates, what will the the interest rate charged on your loan balance will literally just be the retail price index. That's what happens. There's no. And we would just move up and down with the retail price index. Um, you know, for many people, you probably wouldn't notice the difference because RPI is so high now um, anyway. But, okay. Um, we'll try and go on to the next one. Okay, so if we look at uh, the profile of, of repayments for uh, men, we see that in the the, the blue, bluey colored deciles are um, the bottom deciles, one, two, three, four, five, and then the ready brown deciles are seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight, nine. So we can see on the left-hand side, 
where it was the case that the, the folks in the, in the highest earning deciles would essentially repay by the age of 37 and would have quite a steep earnings repayment profile. Under the removal of real interest rates, essentially they repay a lot less and they end up repaying, you know, essentially probably a bit earlier. Okay, so you can sort of see how this benefit kicks in. Um, you know, it's also the case that somebody in the sixth decile of the male, whereas previously they repaid for the 30 years, now they actually end up repaying at the age of 46, 47. Okay, for, for female graduates, we see a similar sort of picture. So essentially, uh, female graduates in the top earning decile, where they actually repaid for 30 years, for the full 30 years, uh, they actually end up repaying by the age of 44, 45. Okay, so essentially that the real interest rate is a means for holding the highest earning graduates in the student loans repayment system and essentially subsidizing middle income, low income graduates. Okay, so it is a means of cross subsidization. If you remove that, uh, the real interest rates, then you have no cross subsidization. Okay, so when the auger review uh, pronounces tomorrow, have a really, really close look and see whether they announce anything about real interest rates. Because if they do announce something on real interest rates, then you're going to automatically know who the winners and losers are. Okay. So the third scenario is essentially what we had before, but what we're going to do is we're going to basically cut the tuition fee to seven and a half thousand pounds. Okay. We're not going to, so universities are going to be worse off for sure. Um, because we're going to assume that there's no compensation teaching grant. Okay. So what do we see happens? So when we look at this example, um, the overall effect is that the cost of the exchequer is about 35 million compared to the baseline. Okay. Now that comprises the three effects. So we had the initial um, increase in, or sorry, reduction in cost associated with the reduction in the, uh, or the freezing of the repayment threshold. Then we had the giveaway uh, associated with the removal of real interest rates. And what this does is, this only has a sort of relatively small change because what we're doing here is we're reducing the volume of the loan balance essentially by 1500 pounds. Um, you know, essentially, so students have a, a smaller loan, loan uh, fee loan, and essentially, um, it's a smaller cost. It's a slight giveaway to the exchequer, essentially. So the total, the total benefit overall from all three policies is essentially uh, thirty-five million. Okay, so the RAB charge goes up a little bit. And the proportion never repaying the full loan drops. Okay, so we've made the loan balance a lot smaller, you know, by £5,600, you see at the bottom. So we've cut this £1,500 times three plus accumulated interest. And uh, essentially, because we've, we've reduced the size of the loan balance, the effect is that the proportion never repaying the full loan declines significantly by 13 points. Okay, but the interesting thing here is. Uh, one thing is the higher education institutions are sort of mashed, okay? They lose 111 million quids worth of income uh, and it drops from 957 to 846 million. So it's pretty catastrophic. So if we see any reduction in the fee level for HEIs, or if we see any sort of policy that reduces student numbers from current levels, then you're gonna see HEIs hammered essentially, okay? So again, keep an eye out for that tomorrow. There was some talk today about 
what the response of the government to the orca review is going to be about minimum entry requirements, having a minimum of three Ds. There's also talk about student number controls. If either of those take place, then you're going to sort of see probably about a hundred million pound impact on uh, English HEIs for every one percentage point change in uh, student numbers. It's a hundred million quid a point. Okay. Okay. So if you look at the effect of this, so this basically just solidifies uh, or exaggerates uh, the effect of removing uh, real interest rates. So we already saw that the, the, it basically cut the or flattened the repayments for individuals, especially men in the top four earnings deciles. But this goes a little bit further. Okay, so this makes things better, even better for the highest earning male graduates because you've just knocked five and a half grand off their loan balance. For everybody else, it doesn't have that much of an effect, okay? Because if you've got a loan balance outstanding of 30,000 pounds or 25,000 pounds or 35,000 pounds, in some respects, it doesn't matter. If you're not earning enough to actually repay the interest, if there is any, and then start eating into the capital, you're always gonna just end up paying 9% over the threshold for repayment. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, and that's why the complexity of the student loan system, you know, in some respects, it's, you know, it's quite Machiavellian because politicians can actually, um, you know, manipulate or trade on people's lack of understanding of the system, okay? And finally, I mean, this is very similar to a previous slide, but this basically shows that uh, reducing the uh, tuition fee and reducing the student loan as a consequence essentially just makes it uh, more aggressive, makes the entire system more aggressive. So now somebody on the fourth decile is contributes the highest proportion of their earnings post-graduation towards um, student loans. And a couple of more graphs here just to show. Okay, so that's everything I've got. Has anybody got any questions? You got to have some questions. Do you have a, um, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have a preferred um, level of number of students you think should go to university? Um, do you delve into that type of research? Um, do you think they're too high or too low at the moment, or do you just um, analyze like policy points? Uh, <clears throat> it's a hard one to answer that, actually. Uh, I mean, there's an issue about, <clears throat> I mean, there's, there's two issues. Okay, the first one is that uh, having one of the key drivers of labor productivity, in the UK has a, a really significant productivity problem. But one of the key drivers of labor productivity is the skills composition, which is essentially the, the, the qualification skills and attributes of the, the, the working age population. Um, and it's the case that as the proportion of individuals going towards higher education has increased, uh, labor productivity is probably, that skills composition is probably accounted for a, an increasing proportion of labor productivity. So in economic terms, having a more skilled population drives uh, economic growth and it drives well-being. So should you have more graduates than less? Probably, okay. Second issue is, is higher education the only game in town? The answer is no. I think the 
the area where the UK, and I know it's a devolved matter, but the area where the UK as a whole sort of falls down, and I would say especially in England, relates to uh, alternative routes for to higher education. Take a country like Germany, uh, the portion go to higher education is about 25%, but they have a super impressive vocational education system where if you actually go and do an apprenticeship for three or four years, you're able to, you know, run your own company successfully, you know, and you can produce high quality service. And that's the difference. I think uh, if you're lucky enough to get an apprenticeship with BAE Systems or Jaguar Land Rover, I think, yeah, you'll, you'll get a great apprenticeship. But I think many, many apprenticeships are, um, you know, potentially weak. Okay. So the second issue is if I thought, and this is purely uh, hypothetical, if I thought that there was too many graduates, yeah, the issue is how do you ration? So you say, right, I'm going to get rid of uh, 30,000 graduates or 30,000 students, 40,000 students. So what's the way of doing that? Right. So you look at the data and you look at some really, really poor LEO data. And LEO data basically just provides you a little bit of short-term graduate earnings post-graduation. And it literally just looks at the number in your payslip. Okay. It doesn't take any account of the type of job you do. For instance, nurses, teachers, or the, the benefit associated or the value associated. It doesn't take any account of you know, the wider economic impact that your job may have. So you take an example of individuals who work in creative arts in and basically work in um, West End shows and generate a huge amount of income for the London economy, let's say. That doesn't count either. Okay, so it's just a really, really narrow view. But if you have a situation that you have the government looking at uh, graduate outcomes, and then you have uh, a government talking about getting rid of Mickey Mouse courses, uh, and they say, right, we're going to use some sort of metric to get rid of these quote unquote Mickey Mouse courses. You can construct a story and you can select the universities you want to sort of, you know, target, let's say. But the issue is, you know, that's going to sort of disproportionately impact a certain type of learner. And it's going to be a learner that didn't have the same opportunity as a kid who went to a private school and had tutors helping them get through GCSEs and A-levels, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, uh, it's a very blunt, you know, it's, you know, the ax is going to fall on a certain type of person, young person, who may have potential, but uh, it's not going to fall on the person who's basically has had or been lucky enough to have, you know, more privilege. That's a long answer, but... Um, can I... What do you uh, think? Do you think... If going to university is all about increasing productivity, do you think, uh, as the, uh, the government would say, Mickey Mouse courses? Uh, sorry. No, I certainly, I, I, certainly, I certainly don't think it's all about increasing productivity, but it's a byproduct. Um, you know, it's, I think, and I think there's an assumption there's only mathematicians or scientists that can increase productivity. I don't think that's the case at all. I think, you know, we've done work for the British Academy and Arts, Humanities, Social Science graduates. And, you know, they've got a, a wider array of skills that allows them to actually, you know, morph into different jobs and professions uh, to a much greater extent than STEM-based graduates. So, you know, for an economy that is fluctuates significantly, um, you know, it's not just about 
STEM medicine productivity is certainly not about earnings on somebody's payslip. You know, um, it's also the case that, you know, the lower the level of inequality in society, the higher the, the rate of economic growth. So, you know, there's lots of reasons why we shouldn't just take a really narrow view about earnings. Productive is a different thing, well, earnings. Do you think it will make a difference? Because I was reading earlier in the day on the BBC, they said, oh, we won't be providing loans to people that haven't got GCC English and maths yeah. or that haven't got two A levels at grade E, especially. They say that, but I don't think there's any university that will take anyone with those qualifications anyway. Do you think they're putting enough effort into creating restrictions to solve this issue? Uh, well, I think they're creating restrictions, but again, it plays to the audience. I mean, there's there's between six and eight percent of undergraduates. Okay, so this is people with enrolling on first degrees, other HE, HNCs, HDs, and foundation degrees. Between six and eight percent would be impacted by this minimum entry requirement. Okay, so they wouldn't have triple D, double D, triple D uh, at A level, or they might have, you know. I mean, there's something like 30, 40% of kids don't get uh, fours in maths and or English. So the issue is lots of institutions do take people with two Ds at A level. Lots of institutions do. Um, you know, the minute they say it's two Ds at A level or equivalent, you know, uh, there's a lot of mature learners and there's a lot of learners who might decide to undertake, um, you know, credit-based, basically give, you know, undertake an undergraduate diploma, see how it goes for a year, and then use it as a stepping stone into something else. Uh, so I think it's a very, very blunt instrument. The problem is, again, it's, a, it's an equity issue. So if somebody comes from a wealthy household and they, have, they don't have two Ds or three Ds, whatever the, the, the threshold is, then they've got an opportunity that they might have household, household resources sufficient to still go to higher education. It's the poor kids who don't have uh, these other resources that will get affected. And that's, that's the problem. It doesn't fall equally on all members of society. That's my issue with it. I mean, and also I have to say, I've seen GCSE papers recently, you know, getting a four or five in English, you know, it's not easy, I'll tell you that. You might disagree, but it's my second language, so. Okay, does anyone else have any other questions? No, okay. Thank you, Gavin, for coming to speak to us. It was very insightful and very relevant to what is happening in the news right now. Okay, listen, keep an eye out for what happens tomorrow. Okay, there's gonna be a, an absolute flood of material at. Uh, one minute past midnight, uh, you're going to see see lots and lots of stuff. The newspapers are going to be sort of, you know, covered with this stuff. Have a good read of it. See what they say. See how the newspapers report it. Um, you know, and see see if the the sort of official the official government messaging gets through. Okay, so um, you know, and try and sort of separate the rubbish from the the fact. Okay. But anyway, listen, it's a pleasure. Please get in touch if you've got any questions about this uh, and what happens tomorrow, get in touch. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you.